grateful to be able to gather today on the Lord's Day, and we're especially grateful for our special guest. And so go ahead and come on in. And if you've been uh, with Clayton Valley Church for any number of years, then if you have not met him in person, you've certainly heard his name brought up in prayer uh, several times. Um, And uh, he's come to see us all the way from Papua New Guinea. And so if you're now wondering, who who am I talking about? I'm talking about Bill Smith. So let's give a warm welcome to Bill. Um, Again, if you've been with us for a time, you might recall that his wife, Lori, was with us back in 2020. And she uh, was in this very same room talking. Uh, She said a lot of things about you. You might want to counter. No, I'm kidding. She did not. (laughs) I'm totally joking. No, she didn't. But no, it's fine. Okay, yeah. Um, They've served there for 32 years. Uh, which, again, we were talking earlier, to have someone serving in a field with that kind of longevity makes a massive gospel impact in an area. Uh, we've all had friends and, and, and others we've known who have gone to a place to serve, and for whatever reason, they're not there still. Sometimes it's good reasons, sometimes it's sorrowful reasons, but, but the Smiths have been there uh, for that long of a time, and technically he's been there longer, but I'll let him tell you about that. Uh, he... Uh, is a very gracious man. He also brings the word of God to us. He'll, he'll be preaching upstairs. And we're really grateful for the, the many years of connection with them. And uh, I see we have some Goodwins here as well. So if you're familiar with the Goodwin family, of course, you know that, that Joyce and George served over there as well. And so we're, we're really glad to have them with us. Um, so let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll have Bill come up. Lord, we want to thank you for this time that we can share uh, together Uh, We're thankful for your work around the world, that the gospel is resounding, that people are being born again from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We thank you for what we anticipate on that great day as as, uh, your people together from from all places, every culture, every every ethnicity, sing praises unto you. Um, we, We thank you that the work that you're accomplishing now, you're accomplishing through through frail vessels like us. And we thank you that you're using our church in that way, and we thank you especially for the Smiths and the impact they're having. So we pray for Bill that he'd be encouraged during his time with us, and we again thank you for this time we can share. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up, Bill. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for coming out this morning. I am excited to be able to share with you. I will apologize. I've been back in the U.S. for about six days, and um, to be honest, even last night, I felt an air pocket, you know, walking around. I'm like, hey, I've been off the plane for five days by now, but you'd think. So if I sort of, I was speaking at church on Wednesday night, and I'm leaning on this. He said, are you okay? No, I just keep hitting air pockets while I'm up here, and I don't really want to fall over. But uh, so my apologies if I act like that. But um, no, we're glad to be able to be here. During this hour, I want to share with you a little bit of the, the impact that your church and many of you have had in the years in Papua New Guinea. You supported the good ones for a number of years. You've also supported the, the Garoka Baptist Bible College. I'm going to share a little video with you here shortly. And then you've supported us and the ministry and the clinic and so many other aspects of it. But one of the things that's been exciting about being a missionary and being a missionary kid going back to Papua New Guinea was the fact to be able to see God grow his ministry. My parents went to the mission field in 1973. So next year it'll be 50 years since the first time I went there. I was a kid. 
And one of our missionaries was telling his pastor, so yeah, the guy I'm working with has been there for, at that point, 30-some years, counting as a kid. So he said, oh, he must be pretty old. Well, he met Lori 20-some years ago first, and was like, that's his wife? I mean, what did he do, rob the cradle or what? And then he met me and said, how can you be? I said, I was a kid. Oh. But when my parents went there, there were handfuls of Christians. There was a handful of churches. Today, our Bible school has had over 450 graduates. We have hundreds of churches that, that we work with. It's about 300 of them around the country. We have graduates from every province in the country. Today, we have graduates that not only serve in the country, but are overseas missionaries. The church I'm presently pastoring for the next couple months when I get back is uh, we have eight missionaries that we send out. Solomon Islands, Fiji, as well as locally. We have some of our guys that are actually missionaries to Australia working with the Aborigines. And I've had the privilege of seeing a country that has gone from being a mission field to being a missionary sending country. One of the biggest blessings I had was being voted down on a missions budget that I presented to our church about a year ago. You're like, what? This is during the pandemic, okay? And they, I said, okay, let's see if the Lord can allow us to give 500 kina a month into missions. And the giving, I felt, I'm a math, I was a math major in college. I do things by mathematics. I do it by the numbers. And I presented it, and the deacons in the church and the others said, nope, we're not in favor of it. I was thinking they were going to go lower. He said, can't we trust God for more than that? Yeah, sure. I suggested supporting six missionaries. No, let's go with eight. And I said, the budget isn't acting that way. Well, as soon as they voted on, the giving went right back up. And really, they could support ten now. And God is blessing a country by putting God first. They're now sending people around the South Pacific. One of the areas, last Sunday, I spoke in a church in Singapore. They've got a burden about reaching Indonesia, the Singaporean church. They're right next door, on the western side. Papua New Guinea shares half of the island with the province of Papua, which is an Indonesian province. They're also interested in reaching Indonesia, extreme other end. And they go back and forth across the border with no problems because our people look just like their people. And ethnically, they're the same people. And the border is not exactly, I mean, they go across that border, the Fly River, like, you know, so what? They go over one way, come back the next day, no big deal. They don't have passports and all that kind of stuff. And they freely go back and forth. Indonesia is the world's largest Muslim nation in the world. I go over there, I put red flags up. They go over, they are hardly noticed. And so we are now talking about a missions movement of Papua New Guineans going to Indonesia as missionaries. I am not opposed to more North American missionaries. But really, what we're seeing is Asians and others stepping up and saying, hey, God's sending us. And that is a result of missions movements that took place here dating even 100 years ago, 50 years ago, and more. And we're seeing God make a huge difference. 
And I am thrilled to have been able to see the early days and then also see what God's doing now. And today I want to share with you the vision between here and upstairs, how God has impressed upon what I have seen as a kid, and really God has broken my heart about making a difference in the lives of people, not just that they get saved, but that they get the burden and the heart to reach their own people for Jesus Christ. And beyond that, their neighbors, their other countries, things like that. To me, that's fascinating. That God would choose to use me, choose to use you, in a remote way, but God uses us to make a difference. Now, I'm going to show you a video. I'm going to hand out, if I could have somebody help me just pass these out. Anybody? Yeah, thanks, Paul. These, I have more of these on the table. Um, this is a little bit about uh, our ministry, but also part of what this trip is. And the message this morning is, Mine eye affecteth my heart for lamentations. And I'm not going to preach my message down here. But we have seen God make a difference by investing in people, and then those people make a difference. So while you're looking at that, I'm going to show you a video of the Bible College. You guys support the Bible School Monthly, and you, you support us, and we greatly appreciate that. You've helped out with many of the projects there. Oh, my computer. Here we go. But this is a, a short video of our Bible College students and the ministry that God has raised up there. And we're grateful that God is giving us the privilege not just to do ministry, but to develop people to also do ministry. I've pastored churches. I've taught at the Bible school. Today, my greatest joy is really not leading a person to Christ or pastoring a church. It is watching someone that I have trained do the same. I pastor the Rapture Baptist Church in town of Garoka right now. Um, I have two men there right now while I'm here. And one will be the pastor, one will be the assistant pastor. Um, probably in January, I will be phasing out. And they're ready. They're doing a great job. Today in Papua New Guinea is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day. None of you will be told that by your kids or your wife today. But in Papua New Guinea, Father's Day is the first Sunday of September. And I got a nice greeting from my wife yesterday because it's almost Monday there now. But, you know, and the opportunity to reach these fathers for Christ, the idea of what they did was they get all these people coming and I'm like, you know, I had nothing to do with that. But seeing them pick it up and run with it, I go, praise the Lord for it. And to see them do it. This is what the, the essence of the Bible college ministry is. So I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get this thing to work. Hopefully it will. Thank you. 
Afone. Her name is Kasane. I'm a fourth year student majoring theology. Since I'm here in GBBC, God has taught me many things in His Word using the lecturers, and I'm excited to go out to do the ministry. Thank you. My name is Naomi Mugale. I'm a first year student here and I'm really enjoying myself. Bye. Hi, I'm Naomi Mugale. I'm a third year student here at UBC. I'm a master or something inside the GBC, like talk to God, for example, education, something that God teaches a Christian, it's outside of you, and I know what you can do to talk to God. Thank you, God. My name is Doni, Doni Sisiko, Ni Dobuka. Mia Maslow, Mikam Schoology, BC Learning Talk to God, South Mego Beglo Place, and Mego Woki Woki at Lo Place, Lo Bougainville. So Mia Maslow, Mikam, you can come, Learning Talk to God, Loya, Lo GBBC. Again, I get to realize when I got saved, God has changed my direction, the path of mine to follow Him, and He has chosen me to come to Bible school. And this Bible school is becoming a great blessing for me. I can learn new things, greater things that I could, you know, take it on board to help me in my GBBC was started in 1974 as a school for training pastors. It was a school for training people in theology. We actually this year at a graduation honored a man who had actually been in the ministry for a total of 40 years. Faithful. His son now is in our Bible school. One of the things that has been a challenge, I guess, for me was the area that we're not just wanting to train people to be pastors, but we're training people that have a desire to serve God no matter what they're occupation is. Their purpose in life is to serve Jesus Christ. I went to Bible school 
I went to be a teacher. And I graduated with an education degree, taught high school math for a number of years. When I went to GBBC, I was one of the first men to go that was not a pastor or pastoral training. I was more of an education background. And running a school and running a church are different. And God had blessed me with some training as well as, I believe, a spiritual gift in the area of administration. And we've seen God change the school to not just be a theology-based program, but we've also had an education program. And one of the things that really... I'm trying to make sure I get... Oh, this crazy thing. Okay, I'll put this in on a little bit. Is that we've got to have people that have a heart for serving Jesus Christ no matter what they do. My wife's a nurse, runs a clinic... In fact, when we first went to Papua New Guinea, people told her, you will not use your medical training in Papua New Guinea as a missionary. (laughs) We do not have a medical ministry in Papua New Guinea. Technically, that was true. But who said, in fact, we laugh. (laughs) It's like, yeah. And the first field team we had, and we, we presented it, and the talk was, well, we haven't done that, so... You probably are, you'll probably just, you know, you got a lot of small kids, Lori, you're pregnant, and all this. You'll focus on that. And to be honest, the first year or two, it was mostly that. But God changed that. We talked about in 2014, introducing an education program for training primary school teachers. We have that today. We have graduates. When we first went to Papua New Guinea, there were very few Christian schools. Today, we have over 50 in our churches, and a number of our graduates teach in the public system as Christians. To me, I see no difference. If you're a Christian in the public system or a Christian system or homeschooling your kids, you have a responsibility before God to represent Jesus Christ. And it has been amazing. Today, we have religious instruction classes in our public schools in Papua New Guinea. They encourage us to go in and teach. Now, we've had religious instruction classes in some of the schools where missionaries have done them in the past. Uh, Joyce had done them and others. Today, none of our missionaries actually do it, but we have in our classes every week over 2,500 students that sit in our RI classes done by our school graduates or our uh, present students. High school, elementary, you name it. And God's given us an opportunity. In fact, in the school system, the government is talking about having teachers that are trained for religious instruction. Anybody from grade 12 down is supposed to have religious instruction in their public school system. And they hire, like they do a math teacher or a grade 1 teacher or an English teacher, they also hire a religious instruction teacher. When the government made that policy, the universities were not... We're not training anybody. So we said, hey, what if we offer to do two things? One, provide teachers, and we developed a curriculum. There is a group out in Akron, Pennsylvania called Bible Visuals. That's been on our field for a very long time. They've given us the rights to print anything we want there. We don't get it there. We print it in the country now. And it is the curriculum of the school system in Eastern Highlands Province where we live for religious instruction that's been approved that way. And we're training teachers. Whoever guessed the mission field of the school system 
is bigger than most of our churches are. One of our graduates of a number of years ago, he was pastoring the church. His name was Waymo and his wife Doris. They left the ministry, and now he is the chaplain for the University of Garoka, which has 5,000 students. His church was never that size. It was never 500 even. But God is expanding, and like we've been telling our students, you serve God wherever God places you. And so our heart now, and it's been this way for a long time, is that we not only want to do ministry, but we want to develop them to do the same. Now, the Bible College has been doing something along that lines all along. Our medical ministry, that has been Lori's thing for a long time. And we now have a lady by the name of Robbie. She was not with us the last time I was here. But Robbie was a little girl that came to our youth camps. And she would see my wife doing medicine and said, as a, what, a 10-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, I'm going to work with you someday, Mama. And then back in 2019, she came and said, I'm ready to start working. And she was a health extension officer, which would be similar, not exactly, but similar to a nurse practitioner. And sure enough, she started working with us. And God is blessed. And now the desire is with our clinic is to not only treat people, but to train people in the next generation. The first time I came to this church, I had black hair. I was younger. I'm now 60. You know, as we're all getting older, you can look in the mirror and you can evaluate yourself. I won't criticize. But, you know, we have to think about who takes it on after us. And our heart is burdened and literally broken about training the next generation. And this is something God has put in our hearts as we've seen the needs. In Papua New Guinea, there are some huge needs. 70% of women can expect to be raped or be physically abused sometime in their lifetime. And to be honest, I've checked that statistic out. I thought, hmm, but Australian aid and other places said, yeah, we're not sure that's the exact figure. It's probably higher. But still, it's horrible. In Papua New Guinea, children that are abused is very common. Abandoned. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Lori's book, but one of the early chapters in the book is about our first baby. She was thrown in the dump. And today she's a grown woman, possibly coming to Bible school next year. And she's missing most of her fingers because the rats ate them when she was in the dump as a baby. And someone found her alive, brought her to us, and that was our first baby. But today... God, she's active in a good church, and she's like, I think God's called me to be in ministry, maybe as a Christian school teacher. Now, I say that, it's not just a Christian school, but a Christian who is in a school teaching. I don't know where God's going to lead her, but that little infant that was thrown away as garbage was not garbage in God's eyes. Today, at our home, we have four babies, I think. It may have changed (laughs) since last night. If you know my family, that's probably could be true. But these are one little Hotzi. He's my favorite. I'm not supposed to say that, I suppose. But Hotzi's a little older, and his mother has breast cancer. Probably a death sentence for her. And But we're seeing Hotzi's family. She comes to church. She got saved. Dad just started showing up. And we'll see what God does with him. And it's making an impact in lives. And the thing we've realized, we can't just do it. We have got to pass it on. 
And I am grateful that my dad and mom went to the mission field. And my dad, the last day he was there in March of 2003, he said, I wonder if I made a difference. I looked at dad. Now, I wouldn't have slapped him, but I was thinking, dad, come on, get your senses with you. And I said, yeah, I could name Papua New Guinea as you had a huge impact in your life. But I can tell you right now, the biggest impact was Bill, David, and Ken. Myself and my two brothers were missionaries at the time there. Both of them are here in the States now. One's a pastor in West Virginia, and the other one is a, the president of Open Door Baptist Mission out in Greenville, South Carolina. I said, Dad, if you wouldn't have done it, where do you think we would be? I'm like, and then God's given me the privilege. I, six months ago, I welcomed my son back. And that was awesome. Andrew and Anna are back there. He's with uh, Ethnos 360. He's a pilot. And I'm looking forward. He's in training. He just got his license. When I get back, he and I, I get to go on a trip with him. That's going to be awesome. You know, and to see God taking in my own family, passing the baton on. Different. My dad and I are not the same. My dad would be scared to get in front of people to speak. Not so much anymore. But he was not the orator. He never finished high school. But he said, hey, God, here I am. Use me. And he's an excellent mechanic and a builder. When they were in Bible school, my brother passed away. On the field in 1987, with the help of George and Joyce helping my dad through. My mother died in a car accident there. And they were right there to help them. And, but dad stayed on. People said, leave, leave. They said, why would I do that? God hasn't told me to do that. But sticking at it and keep going and keep going. And now, having the privilege of being there 32 years, we're seeing people rise up and pass it on to the next generation. And that is awesome. So what I have in front of you is a little brochure about our ministry. There's a couple things in there. Um, one, after the service this morning, this is a book that Lori wrote. This is the first one. There's going to be a second one coming out in a couple months. The other one is about her parents and the impact in her life. Her parents, to be honest, were the most mission-minded people I know. And he was executive for 3M. And God used him mightily in his daughter. And the godliness of their heritage. And how 3M and Lori's mother, who had polio since she was two, until she passed away at 86. She was in a hospital for 14 years from an ungodly family, but because a CEF missionary came to the hospital in Washington and led her to the Lord, and the rest is history. You'll have to get the book later. We'll tell you about that. But this book is a collection of stories of how God is making a difference today. One of our thinkings that we've had in this book was, there's a lot of good missionary stories. Through Gates of Splendor, End of the Spear, uh, Hudson Taylor. But many of those are even 100 years old. Many of them are 50 or 60 years old. And I had a young person in one of the churches, not this one, said, is God really doing something today? I'm like, oh my, yes. And the purpose of this book was to say, God that was the God of Elizabeth Elliot and Hudson Taylor and William Carey, and so forth, is the same God that's there today, and God is doing a difference. For us, 
these little babies have changed lives that we cannot imagine. So we have some books up there. I have like 15 or so of them here left, 16 of them, something like that. You're more than welcome to get one. Um, if not, you can get it on Amazon. And uh, these things, there's these code links and all that stuff. But we felt burdened that God wants us to make sure the next generation knows, hey, God is doing it. Today, people have all kinds of training. I believe God can take whatever training you have and use it for his ministry. In P&G, one of the things that I'm impressed with, our people are excited about, you know, the preaching. Eh. But when you do a drama, oh my. You do action, a live, a play. They explode with excitement. We have a youth camp, about 500 kids. The favorite time is when they, all the teams have to do a drama. And these people get excited. And they, we've had drama teams show up and go from church to church. And a church that might have 100 people might have 300 people when you advertise something. And you say, well, yeah. for me, I'm not that. That's not my thing. The other thing is use of te technology. You'll notice we had a computer lab, which we just got a few years ago. And um, it has changed the way we've had young people coming like, wow. And people are... People in Papua New Guinea don't have computers. They have cell phones. There's more cell phones than there are people. And half of them don't know what they're doing with them. But, uh, you know, we'd rather give them uh, the gospel and things. We had a youth camp. We told them, bring your phones with you. Now, everybody was like, what? That's backwards. And we told them, bring them to the sessions. And we took the garbage off of them and put good stuff on them. We have something called Wi-Fi Bible. And it has videos, it has songs, all this stuff. We were downloading. I spent a whole week, and I'm not a computer tech person, but myself and others, constantly loading stuff on these phones and taking off the garbage. And, but these kids, um, a couple of them, through listening to the Wi-Fi Bible, eventually came to Bible school, and some today are pastors. And it's just like, okay, changing the way we reach people and you got skills that we have a gentleman on our field right now. He's an IT specialist. Uh, it has blown apart the ministry. And so what we're asking God to do is to take the different things and say, God, can you use us to make a difference in lives of people that will not only change today, but be able to reach others also? Our Bible school theme verse is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul's telling Timothy to teach faithful men who are able to teach others also. And that's what it's about. I'm going to share a little bit with you about this one thing, and I'm going to open it up for questions in a couple minutes. One of the things that we have been burdened about is that the clinic ministry continues after we're long gone. Now, we're, I'm 60, Lori's 58. We are permanent residents in the country, which I have basically every right of a citizen of Papua New Guinea. I can be there until the day I die. Um, I can't run for office in Parliament, which I'm fine with. That's not what I'm there for. But everything else I can do. I can't vote as well. But that's okay. But if God allows us to stay there for the rest of our life, that would be great with us. Now, if we have health reasons or something, we need to come back. I've got grandkids on this side of the ocean. I've got three kids that live here and three kids that live there. Um, realistically, we're never going to be done over there. 
Uh, my older, my son Andrew, of course, there's a missionary. My other two boys, almost, almost 19, Aaron is 14. I don't know what God's going to do with them, but being Papua New Guineans, we'll probably get a piece of property that they can build their houses on and have their families, and hopefully they'll let mom and dad have a little small place there that we have a place for ourselves. But we want to see the ministry of the Lord continue. And so Lori's mom passed away in 2019. Dad passed away in 2020. In fact, when Lori could not go back because of the pandemic and came up here in 2020, you, she didn't realize it, neither would you have, but the time of encouragement and spending with you, she has said many times, was to prepare her that when she got back three weeks to the day, her dad passed away. And that blew us away, to be honest. Not just the fact that dad passed away, but the culture there when someone passes away. We had thousands of people coming to our home and all these type of things. In fact, my son has said, Dad, uh, you and mom pass away. I'm going to bury you in the middle of the night and tell them you went back to America. Because... <laughs> The thousands of people that come to the house. And literally, it was thousands. We had a funeral in a tent that's a big circus-type tent. And it was full. And people outside. But and Lori's dad was only there for 18 months. But the impact, because it, Lori with the clinic and all that, people just came from all over. And it was huge. And the culture, we had to sit there for the house cry. We sat for days as people came and cried. And then the next batch would come, and the next batch would come. It was emotionally and physically exhausting. And when that got all over, we took off and went to Port Moresby for a while. Because Dad did want to be buried here. And because of COVID, we had to go through cremation and stuff like that. Because there's no way. In fact, his body did not come back until a year later. Uh, and it was just a horrific thing. But the ministry opportunities that came out of that blew us away. God allowed us to get something called an audio Bible. It's a little device. It's solar powered. has a little flashlight on it. It has the Bible in pidgin, which is a trade language. It also has the Bible in one of the local dialects. We got the one in our area or one of the ones in our area. And we were giving these out. And God was using it miraculously. And through some of Dad's money left, we got a lot of them. And we're still continuing to do it. They're $12 for one. And we give them out to people. And people who can't read and write, they can hear the Bible. I had a man come up to He was blind. They have a blind school in our area. I gave it to him and he wept. He said, wow, I never thought I would ever read. He was an educated person, but thought he could never read again. Because Braille and stuff like that doesn't exist. An older man in one of our churches, he got one of those and he looked at it. He's like, wow, I can hear it in my own language. He didn't even speak pidgin even, but he spoke the language. And he listened to it and wept. The next day he shows up and says, hey, Bill, this thing broke. I'm like, what? It shouldn't last one day. He said, I listened to the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus was into Leviticus. It ran out of power. I said, turn it over and put it in the sun. <laughs> I mean... And he became a believer within about a week to 10 days. I said, let's jump up to the book of John. I mean, he wasn't going to get to John too quick going from Genesis. But, you know, but hey, he just started at the beginning. What else do you do in a book? And so he was listening. And God was working in his heart. Today, 
where Lori had a Bible study, and she does a cooking class this last Saturday, you've seen on post, like 140 people showed up. It's an area that the, in that area we have a group, the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, there's a lot of, vari- like in Baptist churches, there's variances. This one is quite cultic. I've been called the Antichrist more than once by them. I've been called the firewood of hell. Uh, they're very much opposed to us. Um, not everyone's like that, but this particular group, I think they're afraid of what will happen. They said, bring your medicine, but don't bring whatever else you're doing. And I said, they go together. The gospel's first, the medicine second. But all these people are hearing it, and they're like, hey, they got the Bible, they're listening. Hey, they would go on Saturday saying, you know, this is what the Bible says, this is what you're saying. And they don't like that. But the gospel is reaching people. And I tell them, I'm not here to make you a Baptist or whatever. I want you to become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this is, as much as you can put on a little trifold thing, God's affected our heart. And to be honest, we've shed tears about these people. To me, this is home. Yeah, I'm an American, but I've lived so much of my life there. That's home. I dream in pigeon. I think in pigeon. I, that's who I am. But to be able to see our people, women being abused over and over again, uh, our young people, according to Google, P&G has the highest rate of pornography of any country in the world per capita. And our young people, uh, the cell phone companies, if you get, we pay about five kina, which is like two bucks a gigabyte during the day. At night, you can get as much as you want for five kina. And so from 10 o'clock at night to 6 o'clock in the morning, young people are all over the place accessing junk. And the, the cell phone company's making money on in, infant mortality. We have one of the highest rates in the world. Women die in childbirth is a regular occurrence. Our clinic has seen many of people like that. And we're saying, God, we don't want to just do ministry. We want to develop the next generation. And that's what this is about. We want to see GBBC expand to be a Christian liberal arts university someday. We, we have just gone through our accreditation process. We're waiting for the review to come back. We uh, had the thing about three weeks ago. They said about a month they're going to give us a recommendation. To be honest with you, one of the reviewers immediately said, I'm an atheist. And I don't like what you're doing. I'm like, oh, that's great. He was the chairman of the board reviewing us. He was tied to the Australian National University. But he says, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to evaluate on what I believe. I'm going to evaluate what you're doing. And at the end of it, he was like, okay, I don't agree with you, but I can tell your faith means something to you. I said, absolutely. He interviewed our staff, our students. 75% of our staff are Papua New Guineans. We had 11 guys graduate a little while ago with their master's degree. And we're trying to develop a school that will be there beyond my time, Lori's time, and others. The clinic is another area we want to start a program. Uh, Some think we want to start a nursing program. That's technically not the case. We're trying to start a program of people who have at least a nursing degree to develop them to be rural medical evangelists, to tie with church planning and to tie with gospel outreaches, mobile clinics as well as stationary clinics, that we can do something, that we can go into remote locations with medicine, but also the gospel. 
And one of the burdens that we have is Lori and Robbie and the few that we have there can't do all the training. And to be honest, COVID's had its blessings. One of the things that has been a blessing to us is called Zoom. Because we get advice. Uh, Dr. George Goodwin Jr. has been doing this for years on the phone, and now with Zoom and other things, as well as others. And some of you here actually have helped my wife medically in many ways uh, to give her advice. But we can also do teaching and things like that and train Papua New Guineans to take this forward. And we're asking God to help us to do that. To expand the Bible college and all of that, it's a huge project. It's a 10-year project. It's about $7 million worth. I have people saying, you're crazy? Like, in fact, someone told me, when I, you're 60. Aren't you supposed to be winding down? And someone told me that 60s are the old 50s. So you're winding up. But, you know, I'm not trying to coast to the finish line. I want to be running when God says it's time to be done. But I'm asking you pray with us that God will raise up what God wants to raise up. You know, someone said, well, if God doesn't give you what you're looking for, to be honest, on this trip, I'm asking God to raise a million dollars. And, but you know what? God may know he's coming back in two weeks and he won't give it. That's okay. Or six months or whatever. I don't know. I'm just asking people to pray that God will do what God needs to do. And this is what God's called me to pray for. I have 20 some meetings in the next 30 days. And uh, some it's with individuals, some it's with churches, some with business groups, all kinds of things. Pray for my health. And pray, my wife says, make sure you don't overfeed me. It's not your fault. It's my fault what I put in my mouth. I know that. But I want to be healthy because the point was, I want to be healthy that I can do what God's called me to do. So will you pray with us? This is a little bit of a brochure about it. Um, this is a little bit of the clinic that we're, I have some builders and that over there in Papua New Guinea right now. I want to show you. But this is probably, this is an architectural drawing of what we're looking at. It's at the same place our present clinic is at. The downstairs will be the clinic. Uh, upstairs will be a training center. And um, this is what we're looking at trying to build. Um, the inside waiting area be something like this. Again, this is architects having fun with it. Exam rooms, pharmacy, a baby delivery. My wife's got to have that in there. She loves delivering the babies. And then the classrooms upstairs. These are lives of people that we know making a difference. And these little babies, that's my favorite there. That's Hotsey with Lori. That was taken yesterday, actually. And, uh, he loves me. You know, I've been, I was the first. He has a biological father who's been that pretty absent. But I was one of the first men to actually hold him. And uh, he just, he couldn't say mama yet, but he could say dada. This is the other two that are there. This is Rachel and this is Timothy. And Timothy, he was the one who had a lot of sores on him. You may have saw a picture of him a long time. He's a fat, chubby little thing now. But that's what happens to babies in my wife's arms. They get fat. So, but uh, making a difference in people's lives. And you pray with us that God will do that in his time. And then one other one. The gospel is the driving force of the medical ministry. But it's done with compassion. 
And if you do it with compassion, they're going to listen to the gospel. Here, if you ever give a gospel tract, some people, I had one person one time rip it up and try to shove it in my mouth. Not here in San Francisco. It was out east, but I've never had that. I could throw them on the ground and they'll pick them up. Because you have compassion for people. They'll listen to you. We have a little baby named Dawa. She's chapter one of the next book of this. It hasn't been written yet. But Dawa, mom died shortly after childbirth. We took care of her. Her father had multiple kids. He wasn't taking care of them well. Dawa has been adopted by one of our families. And um, Philemon comes, sees me quite often. He is a leader of another church. He's, he's honestly he said, I'm not a believer. But he comes to see me usually on Sunday nights when it's dark. <laughs> I said, I call him in my Nicodemus. He starts asking me a lot of questions. He goes home. The next Sunday he'll show up again about four or five o'clock and I'll take him home at night. But you know what? I would have never had that opportunity. He's not a believer yet, but you pray for him. I've talked to him about his own name, Philemon. You know, Philemon. And um, the whole thing with that. He somehow didn't know that. I don't even know how he got the name. But, you know, reaching people one at a time. And then may we also train someone else to do the same. You have any questions? I've got about seven minutes, I think, before a pastor's going to... I don't think he'll kick me out, but... You have more than eight. Oh, ten. Okay. Any questions you might have? Yes, sir. Okay, those are really two questions in that the answer is technically the program we're talking about has not started yet because we need a facility to do it. However, Lori is on the nursing faculty at the local nursing college and they do internships and those would be saved or unsaved. She gets maybe a dozen of those a year, maybe eight or so sometimes, but she'll get those and they're unsaved. And they get exposed as part of their medical training. They have to spend so much time in the hospital and clinics. And we get some, like, nurses would have training like that here. And then she's on the nursing faculty as well as uh, advises them on different things and things like that. So a bit of both. But what the program we're talking about, they would be enrolled at the school for a year to two years. Some of them, they might be unsaved. I mean, we have unsaved students come to Bible school, and most, most of the time they get saved while they're there. Every year we have somebody. And then they would also be trained, if they haven't had any Bible background, they'll get Bible classes, a lot of classes in medicine and things like that, where Lori and others will be teachers, possibly some by Zoom and other things, or guests that will come out and teach certain aspects of it. We have a gentleman in Australia, his name is Peter. He's about 6'9", 6'10", a big guy. He's an EMT, and he's fantastic. He's been up a couple times. He'll come up and train something, that, that emergency-type stuff, and uh, we're looking to develop a faculty like that. And, so, and then after that, we're hoping to start clinics that are subclinics of ours. Um, the goal is in the next couple of years to have five new clinics that are tied to our church planning efforts and put them in our churches, and we're asking God to raise up the funds to run that and to run them. 
Um, we have a number of people interested in joining us. Um, a couple nurses that are kids of our graduates of the school. One of them is a medical doctor. She said, hey, once you guys get started, I'm going to join you. She's the head of the uh, COVID-19 response team in our province. Um, she is, uh, her mom and dad were one of the members of our earlier churches and actually a friend of the good ones. And Dr. Sarah Javati, she's, she's the primo person in that area. And she says, I'm joining you. We didn't ask her. She just says she is. And we would be interested as well. So it's more than just nurses. But. Okay, so then can you talk a little bit more about how the pharmacy works? I know that we... Oh, thank you very much. He gave me a mic, everyone. <laughs> uh, how the pharmacy uh, is working. Like, you know, I know we do container ships, et cetera, et cetera. But, and also the vision for the future pharmacy. I mean, here we have regulations that are incredible. How's that all work? In Papua New Guinea, a registered nurse can do basically anything. And they do everything. And my wife delivers babies, medicine can prescribe, except certain narcotics. It's a very small list of what she cannot do. And so her license allows a lot there. I am also licensed as a drug dealer. Now, you don't want to put that on your, we have a missionary drug dealer. Uh, Front page of the website, my friend, right yes. there. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. But, you know, to get drugs, and again, we've had to apply for things, and we can buy basically anything within her license, but it's very small that we can't get. And so we see that expanding. Also, we're looking at to get medicine that is prescription medicine from the United States, it's basically impossible. We need a medical doctor in order to do that. But we get a lot of things out of India, the Philippines, uh, Australia, forget it, but you can get basically anything. Unfortunately, you have to be careful you don't get junk because there's a lot of stuff that's not. So, Nancy. So, I'd like to know how many patients on average that uh, Robbie and Lori see per day and can you talk a little bit about the chaplains that meet with the patients while they're waiting? Sure. Lori and Robbie will see somewhere between 100 and 120 people a day. Now, that includes people who come for sores and things like that. And others besides them might do that. You know, put some bandages on it. And they will see that many. They start usually before 8 o'clock and will go to after 4 o'clock. Now, that requires other people doing other things. They will spend approximately five minutes with Lori. Now, that's not all the time. But then there's days when someone decides to come have a baby. You can't do that in five minutes. Uh, and other things like that. And so some days are ridiculous and other days are not. Um, but then some people will have a lot of days where scabies, little stores all over, might have 15 of those and someone else is actually doing those, um, giving medicine and things like that. So it isn't always just the two of them. Um, sometimes it's a mobile clinic. We'll even see more than that. We go out in the middle of nowhere in tents and all that. But while they're waiting for their medicine, they get in the gate, they hear preaching. And then counseling one-on-one. -on -one. We have some chaplains. We also have some of the ladies that work there. They get the vitals and all that, but when they've got some time, they'll sit down with them one-on-one -on -one or two-by-two, two, whatever, how they're coming in. And then after that, they sit and watch some gospel movies, like the Jesus film in Pigeon, as well as other things that are out there. 
and some health document documentaries that are done in pigeon and things like that. And so we saturate them with the gospel. We have people that come and say, oh, I want to come at night because they want to bypass the gospel. They want their help. And we just say, nope, see us in the morning. Now, if it's a real emergency, someone's in labor, you're not going to say, hey, come back tomorrow. That, that doesn't work that way. But basically, it's the gospel first. So, thank you. Can you speak a little bit about uh, drought and drought conditions and how the country is fed when there is such severe drought and then the opposite of how you have so much rain that just wipes out roads yeah we we will get sometimes well over 100 inches of rain a year but it'll come in a six month period and sometimes i've seen six or seven inches of rain in one day that's a problem then we also have a drought which we happen to be right now it isn't the worst we've had but it's significant and to be honest this year it is a little worse because people have had elections in Papua New Guinea, we just had elections. We had 118 members of parliament and 3,500 people running for those positions. And when you vote, you can pick your first choice, second choice, and third choice. And it took them about two months to count the votes. It's crazy. But during the way they do elections, they will have campaign houses. And people will go to that house, the guy who's running, he'll feed them and all that. And every night he's feeding people. Well, people are going to that, not taking care of their gardens. So when the campaign period's over, guess what? Everybody's hungry. Because the pigs ate their gardens, not... And so now, because it's a dry season, and there's no gardens and all that, and the campaigns are over because the guys that won, won. The guys that lost, lost. There's nothing left over. And so, like Lori, back today, a few hours ago, handed out some rice at church. It helps especially the older people, things like that, that are limited. But P&G, at least where we are, is a place of a lot of food. But when it's not raining, that takes care of that for a while because they live off the gardens. How do, you, how do you do your water system for so much for like the camps and the college, et cetera? I've always wondered about that logistics. We collect rainwater, but that's not our main source. Our college, we actually get water out of the river. Now, that's nasty. But we have a 20-foot water tank, um, or a 20-foot container, sorry. The, the water tank's about, well, 15 feet wide. Holds 90,000 liters, so what, 20,000 gallons or something like that. It's huge. But it goes through 17 filters, ultraviolet light and all kinds of things. And we get, and our river water, which has hepatitis and all kinds of things in it, when it gets done, is better than bottled water. And we have it tested regularly by a lab there. So, and then our own house, we actually have another filter. So maybe we're redundant, but you don't know. The power goes off, that ultraviolet light doesn't work. So you gotta be careful. And we can't get water in our house unless the power's on because we have a pump system. So we're just overly careful. So, yeah. Timing on that? Did you question God's timing on that, or like, did you have what? What kind of? It just seems like um, you don't ever face discouragement, or <laughs> I'm hiding it from you. Then okay. 
No. Like, that to, would to be, be a really hard time, I would yep. imagine. And, like, you know, why would that happen if, you know, we're giving our all for you here? Yeah. To be honest, that's exactly the questions that I asked, my dad asked. Um, and to, even to this day, one of the things that I wish my mother never met my kids or my grandkids. You know, and it's that I miss that. Um, my wife met my, we were married, but all my other siblings, my mother never met their spouses. She died in 1987, so it's been a long time. But even all these years later, I wonder why. But I also have seen God do something. I was at a preaching in a church in Maine years ago, and I got done, I was preaching, and this couple came to the front bawling their eyes out. I gave an invitation. I didn't expect that. And they said, can we talk to you? I said, sure. He said, um, we, we were missionaries in Venezuela. I was like, okay. And they were telling me, we got God burdened our hearts. We were in a prayer meeting in this church back in 1987. And the pastor said, there's a missionary in Papua New His wife just died in a car accident. Bill and Carol Smith, pray for Bill's family. And God, and he said, who's going to take their place or her place? And God used that to burden their hearts to go to Venezuela, not Papua New Guinea. Well, they got off the field because they both had cancer. They died a few months later. And they were sitting there, and they saw in this mission program, there was a guy named Bill Smith. He's in Papua New Guinea. They're like, what's the chances? They, they knew from my picture I wasn't my dad because I was younger. But they were like, what's the chances of Smith? I mean, how common is that? Bill Smith. But anyways, when I shared the story, they just started bawling. And I, okay. I called my dad, and I had to, my dad I was bald. We had no idea in eternity. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to know why. And maybe we'll know then, but maybe we won't. I don't know. Is there bitterness? Yeah. Do I sometimes think about as I hold my grandkids or don't hold my grandkids? Because that's something, that's the hardest thing, because I've got eight grandkids here. And part of my traveling, some people said, you're speaking all these places, you're going to see your kids? Yeah, I am. I go over to Idaho where Charlotte is at next week. And then after that, I'm heading to my granddaughter. It's her birthday, September 12th. I'm leaving that church. I'm going 11 o'clock at night flight. Charlotte was like, what are you, why are you doing that? My granddaughter's birthday is the next day. It's in Maine. I mean, that's a long way away. But I'm going to be there when she gets out of school. And I'm more excited about it than she is because she doesn't even know I'm coming. But that's part of it. And so, yeah, there's, there's battles. I can stand up here, but I know he's going to call it quits. Yeah, we got one more. We'll close it out with this one, and then we'll head on up. Okay. Maybe this is a segue from the last question, but what does the future of your and Lori's ministry look like? Is it led by uh, locals in Papua New Guinea or uh, others who come from outside? Probably locals. That is what our goal is. Um, at the Bible school right now, I had been the president of the school for a number of years. Right now, I'm the chancellor. I'm also an advisor to the president and advisor to the board. I have no authority, but I have influence. And to me, 75% of our Bible school staff are Papua New Guineans, and we're trying to expand that. But not only expand it that way, but we also have a couple that both had their master's degree from the Philippines, and they're Filipinos on our staff. We have something going on right now with the, uh, some Australians joining us. And like I was telling you, I was in Singapore. We're trying to incorporate an Asian mindset to it because they don't think like we do. 
We have different mindsets and different things, and that's to be understood. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. And I may have lived there all my life, but I don't think like a Papua New Guinean. I can speak like one, but I'm not. And then at the clinic, we also realize it's got to be the same thing. We want to train locals. And our position will probably change from doing the ministry to equipping and encouraging the ministry. And I think that's a biblical role model. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Let's, let's give thanks to the Lord. Thank you. Well. And uh, we'll see you all upstairs. <laughs>